So Jesus, help us to live out of that promise of yours um, and find you uh, in this last week before Christmas, uh, experience you and what your arrival means to us. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, I want to welcome those of you who are watching online uh, in our 11 o'clock service, our middle schoolers and our high schoolers. Thank you all for being here, as well as all of you. I just, I love worshiping. I just love, there are some times when we're worshiping, I'm just like, oh, do we really have to have a sermon? Um, can't we just keep going? I think we need, we'll bring them back in a minute, but um, I do have a sermon. So um, I want to start by asking you a couple of questions. Do you ever feel like you have too much to do? Do you sometimes get stressed out before a big test in school or a project at work? Or do you feel like you're not doing a good enough job as a student or at work or as a parent? Does the Christmas season add stress to your life? If you think any of that applies to the person next to you, raise your hand. Okay, because the chances are that they are a perfectionist, successaholic with occasional bouts of failure phobia. All right, so you really need to listen to this sermon to know how to help them, right? Because you're fine, but they're a disaster. <laughs> Successaholism, perfectionism, I think is part of most of our lives, at least occasionally. And at Christmas, it can be epidemic because everyone sort of tries to have the perfect Christmas experience. Now, I want to be clear, by perfectionism, I don't mean trying our hardest at something. Uh, we should try our hardest at some, not all, but at some things. Perfectionism isn't about trying our hardest. It's about anxiously striving and beating yourself up if something's not perfect. It's about not knowing when to say it is good enough. Uh, I, for instance, I sometimes spend hours and hours polishing a sermon at the expense of spending time with my family for tiny improvements most of you probably don't even notice. A couple of years ago, a, a woman told me that she had her eight-year-old grandson here in church, and he was taking notes on my sermon. And at one point, I told a story of eating three dozen cookies in one hour. And so her grandson wrote down, Pastor ate 36 cookies. That's what he took from my sermon. <laughs> Guess what that sermon was about? Fasting. <laughs> Why do I even bother? Why do I even bother? Perfectionism, successaholism, and there are a lot of problems with it, a lot of problems. For starters, it's impossible. Nothing's ever perfect. Second, we stress ourselves out. Third, it strains relationships. The boss, the parent, the coworker, for whom nothing is ever good enough, right? That, that just hurts people around them. It leads to procrastination because perfection is so intimidating, we're afraid to even start for fear of, fear of failure. And then ironically, fifth, we end up not trying our hardest. Because if we do and it's not perfect, we feel like a failure. So we don't try our hardest so that we can always say, well, I didn't really try that hard. Now, the way out of perfectionism, the way out of perfectionism isn't to work really hard to perfect not being perfect. Right? That doesn't work. The way to freedom is in Jesus' promise in the text we just read. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, a yoke was a wooden beam you'd put on an animal so it could pull a plow, or you'd use it to link two animals together to double the pulling power. So it's an image of work, so it's kind of odd. How could an image of work give us rest? And when Jesus says, my burden is light, really? Like he calls us to give, to serve, to forgive. That's really hard stuff to do. So it's kind of paradoxical. How does this promise free us from perfectionism and lead us to rest? A couple of things. 
First, for starters, we take Jesus' yoke. See, it's all about where you place the emphasis, right? It's, it, it, take my yoke upon you or take my yoke upon you. Because see, we're going to be yoked to something. You have a yoke now, whether you know it or not. By yoke, I mean the wooden beam, not the eggs things, right? <laughs> the question is, what are we yoked to? If we're living for a relationship, we're yoked to that person. We'll be emotionally dependent on that person. Criticism from that person will wipe us out, and we won't give it for fear of losing the relationship. If we're yoked to school or to work, then the quality of our work becomes the measure of our worth, and that leads to burnout. We're yoked to something, but Jesus says, take my yoke. It's different. He says, I will give you a new way to bear the responsibilities in your life because we will have responsibilities. But Jesus can give us a new way to carry them. He doesn't offer escape. He offers equipment. And he says, learn from me. He doesn't say learn about me. He says, learn from me. And back then, if you were a disciple of a teacher, you would actually live with the teacher. It wasn't like today where you go to class and then you come home. You'd actually live with the teacher. And you learned by watching the teacher in every part of their life, how they did their faith, how they did their job, how they did their friendships, their family, all of that. You would learn relationally. Jesus says, learn from me, imitate me, do what I do, and you will find that your load is lightened. So for instance, just one example, Jesus says, forgive those who've hurt us. And if we do that, then our burden of resentment and anger will be lifted. Remember, in Jesus' day, you would yoke two animals together to double the pulling power. Jesus says, yoke yourself to me, and I will help you carry the load through the power of my Holy Spirit. Which brings me to the next point, to get free of perfectionism, to quit it, find rest, rest in the completed work of Jesus. Because, see, most of us really do have a work-worth paradigm. The quality of my work is the measure of my worth. The quality of my grades is the measure of my worth. My looks, my athletic skills, my job status measures my worth. See, we all live by this paradigm. I will not be liked unless I blank. What goes in that for you? I will not be liked unless I preach well. I will not be liked unless I perform on the soccer field. I will not be liked unless I... What is it for you? And there's some truth in that, right? Because there are people who will like us better if we succeed and perform than if we don't. But not real friends, and certainly not God. So to be free from perfectionism isn't just about not striving, right? You have to get rid of that inner voice that says, I won't be liked unless I... It's the need to prove ourselves. And that's what makes us weary. It's not the work. It's the need to prove ourselves from the work that makes us tired. Even if we take a three-month vacation, we'll still be tired if we don't get rid of that inner voice that says, I won't be liked unless. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And part of what was finished is our ceaseless striving to prove ourselves. You know, the phrase, Jesus paid the price for my sins, it's become meaningless because we say it so often. But when you actually dig into that, what it means is all the ways you feel inadequate, all the ways you feel you need to do something to be acceptable, it is finished. And when that isn't just a theology in our head, but an experience of God's love in our heart, it frees us from perfectionism. And I'll give one suggestion for maybe how we could do that this week. The more we experience God's love, the more we act as if we are loved, we gradually become free. 
Like several people in business I know, very successful business people who in spite of the pressure aren't stressed out. They know God loves them no matter what, that's their identity. And what motivates them isn't proving themselves, but a vision they have for their company or they just love what they do. That's what's motivating them, not proving themselves. That's freedom. Actor Kevin Bacon who starred in a movie called Footloose, which some of you are probably way too young to remember, uh, which is fine. It was a profoundly mediocre movie, so <laughs> you didn't miss anything, right? And it was about dancing. I'm sorry if you really love Footloose, but we have prayer people over here for that. Um, his six-year-old son watched it and said, Dad, you know that thing you do in the movie where you swing from the rafters of that building? That's really cool. How'd you do that? And Kevin Bacon said, well, I didn't do that part. It was a stuntman. And his son said, well, what's that? And Kevin Bacon said, well, it's a guy who dresses like me and does what I can't do. And his son said, oh, and kind of walked away confused. Later that day, his son said, dad, you know that thing in the movie where you spin around on the gym bar? How'd you do that? And Kevin Bacon said, well, that was my gymnastics double. You know, dresses like I do, does what I can't do. And there was silence. And then his son asked in a really concerned voice, he said, dad, what did you do? <laughs> and Kevin, Kevin Bacon said, I got all the glory. That's grace. Jesus took our sin upon himself and did what we cannot do. And now we stand in his reflected glory and God looks at you and says, you are enough. It is finished. I died to convince you that I love you that much. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Which brings me to the third way out of perfectionism, which is to ask this question, what's, what really matters here? Many things can be good, but what really, really matters? Right after this passage that we read, Jesus heals a crippled man on the Sabbath, which made the religious leaders mad because you weren't spo- that was considered work. You weren't supposed to do that on the Sabbath, so they get all ticked off, right? But Jesus said, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Keeping the Sabbath is good, but there's something that really matters, something more important, and that is people. I recently heard a woman talk about how last year she was having her sisters over for their first Christmas after their mom had died. And this woman made everyone, including herself, miserable for weeks, trying to make everything perfect, find the perfect gifts, have a perfectly clean house. But then she realized, you know what? My mom wouldn't want this. And so then she sat down and wrote some questions that she was going to ask after Christmas. The questions were, was there a lot of laughter? Did we tell a lot of stories? Did we enjoy being together? Not as a list of things to be perfect about, but recognizing the most important thing wasn't the perfect gift or house, it was the relationships. See, getting out of perfectionism is not a matter of doing everything in a lazy, sloppy, careless way. No, it's about doing a few things that really matter really well and letting the rest go. What really matters here? The perfectly clean house, the perfectly cooked dinner, or the relationships? So this week, pray this prayer. It's based on the famous serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept what I cannot change, courage to change what I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Well, I've rewritten it. So here's the perfectionist's prayer. You could call this the Eastsiders prayer. God grant me the energy to do with excellence that which should be done with excellence, courage to half-bake what should be half-baked. You can make that one a little stronger if you'd like and the wisdom to know the difference. Can you pray that this week? Let me give you another challenge. Screw something up this week. Leave something half-baked. 
do something imperfectly, you will survive. I promise. Take on Jesus' yoke. Rest in his completed work. Ask what really matters here. And then finally, look for the perfection in imperfection. Right before this passage, Jesus talks about all the people who have rejected his message. In other words, all of his failures. And then he says, I praise you, Father, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. He praises God for his failures. Why? Because in his failure was a deeper success. Because you see, back then, folks thought that the only people who could experience God were wise, special, learned people. But in Jesus, everyone can experience God, even little kids. It's a radical democratization of God. The failure of the wise to respond to Jesus revealed a deeper beauty. There is often a greater perfection that only imperfection can accomplish. For instance, the first phone was not invented by Alexander Graham Bell. It was invented by a German dude named Johann Ries. But Ries's phone wasn't as clear as Alexander Bell's. And the reason they discovered later was because Ries, being German, meticulously cleaned everything and Bell didn't. But when the contact points get a little bit dirty, they actually work better. So Ries's Teutonic cleanliness cost him a fortune. The imperfect was actually more perfect. The messy house allows people to not be so stiff and relax and be at home. When I do weddings, I always tell couples, don't worry about having the perfect ceremony because the only thing people are ever going to remember anyway are the mistakes, right? And they become the stories you tell over and over and you laugh and it creates connection. Back in September, some of you may have seen a clip from a football game between Mississippi State and Louisiana Tech of an epic fumble. Take a look. Awesome. And a terrible snap. Smith is going to have to go all the way back. He didn't secure. It's still loose. It's still loose. Rolling all the way back. This ball is still loose inside the 20. Who wants the football? It is finally recovered by Louisiana Tech back at the 7. You have to, like, try to do that, right? It's the longest fumble ever. The result of that play was that Louisiana Tech faced a third and 93 situation. (laughs) Good luck getting that first down, right? (laughs) See, failure isn't fatal. It's funny. One sports writer called that football art. It was like ballet, right? And I got to believe that some of those players, even though it was such an epic fail, I got to believe some of them were chuckling, right? Because by now, who cares, right? You forget lots of football games. They will not forget that game. They got to be part of the longest fumble in history, and nobody can take that away from them. (laughs) Sometimes we just need to lighten up and laugh at ourselves. Because, see, the bottom line is this. God does not call us to perfection. He calls us to faithfulness, simply to keep our eyes on him no matter what. So somewhere between failure and success, somewhere between our worst and our best, may we find faithfulness. So here's your homework. It's seven days till Christmas. Somewhere in the next week, find at least one hour, more if you want, but at least one hour where you do something that helps you connect with the love God shows at Christmas by coming to us so we can experience him. Maybe that's to read a book that reminds you of God's love or listen to Christmas music. Maybe it's to pray and read the Bible or be with people who show you God's love whether you succeed or fail. Watch a Christmas movie that helps you feel God's love. It's a Wonderful Life or Elf if that's what you're into. And I know, I know, busy week, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too... No, you're not. 
I guarantee you, you will waste at least one hour this week checking sports scores or scrolling through Instagram. Spend one hour that connects you with God's Christmas love that sets us free. I heard an owner of a business, I'll call him Bob. He was always stressed out, angry all of the time. Uh, he was a perfectionist and he wanted everything in the business to be perfect, wouldn't celebrate anything, nothing was ever good enough. Finally, his employees asked him to hire a consultant because he was making them and himself miserable. So the consultant interviewed friends, family, employees, all about Bob, and then read the results back to him. People said things like, Bob overlooks relationships. Bob has a love problem. I know Bob cares, he's just not gifted at showing it. But what really nailed him was what his son said. His son said, my dad is angry all of the time. And Bob said, when you hear the same thing over and over from lots of people who know what it's like to be on the other side of you, well, it just broke me. So Bob started to spend more time in prayer saying, Jesus, help me experience your love. He kept listening to honest feedback from family and friends and coworkers, spent more time with guys from his church who he knew really loved him, whether he succeeded or whether he failed, which helped get him out of the I will not be liked unless I perform paradigm. And gradually he got a little more relaxed, <clears throat> became more loving, became more warm, not perfect. He's not perfect. He still has his days, but with God, perfection is not the goal. Progress is, and Bob is making progress. So where are you striving for a perfection that God is not asking of you? And this week, <clears throat> find some space to connect with Jesus and hear him say, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I've seen all your flaws, and I love you anyway. Unlike others in your life, I do not demand perfection. I just ask that you come with all your doubts, all your fears, all your failures, sins, and screw-ups. Come not when you've made it better, not when you're getting your act together, not when you're at your perfect best, but when you are at your imperfect worst, when you are pitching the biggest fit ever, when you are steeped in the deepest sin of your life, when you are confused and angry, when you don't think I exist, when all you want to do is yell at me, come just as you are. And somewhere between failure and success, somewhere between your worst and your best, I will give you rest. So as the Christmas carol says, O ye beneath life's heavy load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, hark now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. O rest beside the weary road, and hear the angels sing. So Jesus, this week, help us to find some space to do just that. Hear you tell us how much you love us. Hear you tell us that we don't have to be perfect in your sight. And out of that love, God, help us to do those few things well that you call us to and leave everything else half-baked. And God, help us to do that as we follow you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.